The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. The PFF Podcast is brought to you by Lisa Mattress. Do you find yourself distracted, forgetting things, making mistakes at work? A quality night's sleep makes all the difference. The right mattress is the difference between resting and just laying down. The Lisa Mattress is the product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering and hundreds of hours of testing. Comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling pressure relief, body contouring, and support, over 300,000 happy Lisa sleepers agree, myself included. The Lisa Mattress gives them the rest they need. Order your Lisa Mattress online at lisa.com slash pff with promo code pff and try it risk-free for 100 nights. It ships direct to your door in a convenient box with free shipping and free returns. Find the right mattress for you at lisa.com slash pff and get the rest you need tonight. Get up to $100 off the Lisa mattress or $235 off the luxury Sapira mattress and free shipping on the Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash pff. Enter promo code pff at checkout. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash pff promo code pff. PFF Podcast is also brought to you by True Car. Hey there, diehards. Here are some football facts that even you might not know about. The first football game was played in 1869. In an average game, the ball is typically in play for only about 11 minutes. And finally, pizza consumption rates go up during the week of a big game. Okay, you probably knew that last one. But here's another fact you might not know that's actually really useful, especially if you plan on tailgating. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right, True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With our certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube. Hello, live YouTube viewers. They've been uh, we've done this two two weeks in a row now, going live on YouTube. Hope you guys enjoy it. Make it a little Monday appointment viewing. Of course, if you're listening on the podcast, 
We're going to review every single game. We're going to go at least touch on something from every single game. We'll hit the big stories from week six in the NFL. But before we get there, Sam, you always, in the office here, give me your rugby update. And every now and again, I give you a baseball update. And you and I have no clue. I have no clue about rugby. You have no clue about baseball. We think this would be a good podcast idea in the future. So I want to hear what our viewers and listeners think. Well, you have to explain it out fully, right? It's not just two people who don't have any idea what they're talking about talking about the thing. It's that we both pretend like we know what the hell we're talking about. So when you strike up some conversation about the Red Sox, I'll just join in as if I have any earthly idea what the hell you're talking about uh, and roll with it. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, when I bring up, you know, rugby, Leinster, you just roll. Leinster has, I mean, after last year's strong season, Mm -hmm. just building on it this year, just off to a great start. This is what we're saying, yeah. There's no break in rugby, from what I understand? A very brief one, I mean, you know. And soccer, too. I think there's just games going on at all times. Well, look, how much rest do you really need? A lot. That feels like a stressful sport. Um, but what do you think of the Red Sox, though, tying it up in the ALCS one-to-one against the Astros? Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the marquee matchup everybody wants to see, right? It, it is. It has to, go, has to go down to the wire. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. So you think it'll go seven games? Oh, yeah. Astros or Red Sox? It's got to be Red Sox. Yeah. From I mean, the history. I mean, they did win 108 games this year. Right. So... Great. And Leinster, great weekend, right? You were texting me all weekend. Yeah. They put up 47 unanswered points against Wasps. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like a triple A team, though. I mean, it's a JV squad. Yeah. The Wasps. Anyway, uh, fast forward through that if you guys hated it. <laughs> uh, but also hit us up if you want to hear more rugby and baseball nonsense. All right. Let's get into the real football action from week six. Let's start with the shootout from Sunday night. When you have a Chiefs-Patriots matchup with an over-under at about 60, I think is what it was around game time. Uh, by the way, PFF Greenline said that it would be 69 or 70. Yeah, was it the was estimate. 69 early in the week anyway. And even, so that was our lock of the week. It went way over. 83 total points, Chiefs-Patriots. Those shootouts don't always live up to the hype, but this one certainly did. Well, this was the game we've been talking about all season with the Chiefs, which was literally like an arena league game. It came, it's just possessions. Who has the ball? at the end because nobody could stop anybody for almost the entirety of the game. You know, I, the, the Patriots managed to stop the Chiefs a couple of times early in the game, and I tweeted at Barely. some point. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. But I tweeted at some point during the game, the Chiefs are going to have to stop the Patriots sometime because otherwise they're just not going to win this shootout. They're already behind a couple of possessions, and that's really what we're talking about. They ended up coming back and making it at least a game because they did get a stop or two down the way, but this was genuinely what we've been talking about all season, which is all offense, almost no defense whatsoever, and it really just came down to how, like, who had the ball at the end. I believe it was only one punt in the entire game, too, which yeah. was the Chiefs. Um, so, you got, so you got some fourth down aggressiveness and also just teams not being stopped. This was the Patrick Mahomes game. I saw people tweeting about it. I mean, when you make the Brett Favre comparison, this was a Brett Favre game for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it was just even from... Like back in the day, John Madden used to think it was so cute that Brett Favre would come out so fired up that he'd overthrow his first three passes. Do you remember that? Mm. It would be like, overthrow, overthrow, oh, that Brett. He just comes out so fired up. That was Mahomes in this game. He came, up, came out a little jacked up, missed a bunch of throws. Um, but it, more so, it was from a big-time throw, turnover-worthy pl- throw standpoint, the Mahomes game we expected, right? Five big-time throws, so he's still making the special stuff, but three turnover-worthy throws, which did come back to bite. An early interception that put the Patriots inside the 10 and then a red zone interception 
just before, just outside the red zone, but in the, in the end zone just before the half, and then had another pass that should have been picked. This truly was the ups and downs that we may have expected from Mahomes coming into the year. Yeah, this is probably a closer reflection on who Patrick Mahomes is going to be than the guy we saw for the first few games, which was pretty unsustainably freakish in terms of all good, no bad. This right. is, you know, some of the bad there as well, um, which makes sense, right? He's unlikely to just be Superman right out of the gate. So, but this, I mean, if this is the guy he's likely to be, that's pretty encouraging, right? Because oh, yeah, I mean, got, they scored 40 points in a right. game where he did miss a ton of throws. Exactly. He missed a ton of throws. He made a couple of bad mistakes, but he also made some pretty spectacular things happen. Did. Was really good later in the game when it did matter. I mean, there's a touch of the Andrew Lux about that, right. you know, being roundly patted on the back for uh, putting out the fire of the house that you started when you were trying to make a cup of coffee. I mean, that was actually Brady last night, too. Yeah. But there's, Brady started his own fire. People well. love doing that, right? It's right. this guy. Look at this guy. He's a hero for putting out this fire. Like, yeah, but most normal people don't manage to set fire to their entire house just by <laughs> making a cup, a cup of coffee in the morning. So there was a touch of that about this Patrick Mahomes performance. But there is, it is good to be able to pull it out of the fire, you know, when it does matter, even if Brady ultimately then went down the field and scored anyway. Right. It, it, so it does show what Mahomes can do with his arm, what this offense can do. I mean, Tyree Kill is just, just a whole – people keep mentioning this over and over again, but on a field of extremely fast players, the fact that he's that much faster than everyone else is just He looks silly. like a high school player. You know when you go back and you watch everybody's like skill position, high school highlight reels, yeah. it's just a case of – that you're, you don't belong on the same field as those guys, right? How you, bad is this competition? Yeah, that we're you make at? these runs that you can't make when you're of, this, of a comparable level of athlete to everybody else. You just weave in and out of these guys because they're, they're they don't belong on the same field tackling you. Defenders are the same with Tyree Kill. I mean, that touchdown he got over Duran Harmon, who is, you know, a pretty good athlete as a free safety. Right. And yet it was amazing how early into that play it was immediately obvious that he was not only catching the ball on him, but then going to turn and run around him and score. Like, he literally, Harmon didn't get close to him. He was able to catch the ball in front of him, turn immediately, and just run around the outside of him, just do him for pace to the sideline. I turned to my wife. That's I said, insane. watch this. I said, watch this. He's gone. Right. It, on a play where, again, the angles look normal, and it's a 40-yard gain, not a 75-yard gain. He caught the ball facing the quarterback, facing the line of scrimmage, away from the safety, with the safety still to beat between him and the end zone. And as soon as he caught the ball... I just said, touchdown. Yeah. And then he has to drop, turn around, run around the safety, and score to make that happen. And yet it was obvious that it was going to happen. That's how quick he is. Truly amazing. Uh, the story of the game for Mahomes, 136.2 passer rating from a clean pocket, 30.9 when pressured. And that included, I mean, Mahomes threw four touchdowns. Early in the game, he missed, he missed Kareem Hunt up the seam. Yes. He missed a corner route, both of which the pressure just got home in time. But both, both uh, passes were open. And then he chucked one up, one of his turnover-worthy plays, I believe it was, when he, when he had Tariq, uh, Tariq uh, on the post yeah. against the zero blitz. He had him wide yes. open, and he had an ocean that, to throw it to, and he just got pressured just enough. So I mean, there was, is, he could have had seven touchdowns. This was such a great game because so this is the game that the NFL thinks every game should be. Yes. Right? It's, the, it's the game that the rule changes have been trying to create, which is basically arena football writ large. Um, for you know, for eighty plus points in a game, all offense, no defense, and I I hate that as a concept, right? I I think there's an idea that defense defense should be an equal competition with offense in order for the game to be at its best, right? It's not just a case of both offenses being at a, the same equal advantage over a defense. There should be a competition within both sides of the ball, so the defense can go toe to toe with offense 
as well as both sides having the same advantage. But whatever, the NFL disagrees, and they're trying to promote yardage and passing and points and all this kind of stuff. So I usually don't like that as a concept, but this was one of those games where it actually worked, and this was a really good game despite there being no defense and it being all offense. And there were some fantastic plays in there that either did get made or didn't quite get made. You know, Kareem Hunt caught five of six targets for 100 yards and a touchdown, and the one he didn't catch was that overthrow from Mahomes right. that would have been a deep touchdown. People forget about what a valuable part of the passing game Kareem Hunt can be. Like, he's obviously their bell cow running back, but he's a weapon out of the backfield as well. And you don't think about him because you're busy trying to deal with Tyree Kill, Jay, uh, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins even is your next guy. You don't even get to the idea that, oh, crap, Kareem Hunt can come out of the backfield and then we're screwed. And like, that's how dangerous they are. Everybody's tweeting at me, why is he taken out in two-minute situations? Yeah. Spencer Ware. Also crazy. Don't know. No. Uh, no, look, Kareem Hunt had some issues pass blocking last year. I mean, there were some games where he just gets yeah. destroyed by bigger physical linebackers. But, but if but anybody's going to not... use him as a receiver rather than a pass blocker. Yes. And then the other thing was that play you mentioned. The Patriots legitimately dialed up a cover zero, meaning no safety in the middle of the field, blitz. They right. sent six guys against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs on third and seven with Tyree Kill one-on-one against Jason McCourty, who's basically as fast as we are. Now, Mike Renner, 4-8 guy. And the thing is, it worked. I mean, it barely worked, but it worked. But, they, I mean, yeah. they got home. The six guys, at least two of them got pressure, and it was enough to make Mahomes back up and just throw up a heave ball. And he had basically half of the field to hit for that to be a viable pass, and he ended right. up being pressured enough that he couldn't hit half the field. That was one of those passes Russell Wilson makes really well. He gets yeah. the zero blitz, and he just chucks it up Doug Bald- like lets that, a guy like Doug like, Baldwin run I, under it. I haven't actually checked the numbers, but the Patriots are one of the more aggressive teams in terms of man coverage, and they do not run zero blitz a no. lot. No, it's a lot of cover one where they, right. have, they have a free safety that they're creative with and a strong safety that they're creative with, but there not are, a lot There of are zero. teams that will dial up zero blitz a couple of times in the season. And the Patriots pulled yep. one out on third and seven against the most potent offensive team in the NFL, and it worked. It feels like, odd that's saying a hell of a ballsy call. Well, in a game where the Patriots gave up forty points, it feels odd saying that they dialed up a few calls like that. Right, that, that really did make. But a that's difference. that's the key, right? When you're talking about possessions, right. Literally, all you need is one Save two a stops, possession. two yeah. stops in the game, right. which means it's going to come down to one or two defensive plays that are di- the difference between winning and losing. All you need is two defensive plays in the game if they come in the right sequence. That's that's what's that's the difference. On the other side, uh, we said Mahomes had five big time throws. We had Brady with five big time throws as well. A couple of them fell incomplete. He had a tight window throw to Edelman that was dropped, but down the stretch hits Gronk in stride down the field. He had a pretty good deep ball to Josh Gordon that got that yeah. led to the defensive pass interference. Uh, but you could kind of see that Patriots offense with all their different weapons. It felt like Gronk was just not just like sleepwalking through the game and all of a sudden they're like, all right, unleash the Gronk. We got to go yeah. win the game and then he makes the big plays. One on one with a cornerback slash safety. Yes. And the, the amazing thing about that is if you watch that replay, he smokes him for quickness. It's his release that gets him open. Like and a guy that's 260 he pounds. Slow the entire game though. But it, and then all of a sudden he breaks it out. I mean, he still wasn't even fast. It's just the quickness he has yeah. off the line laterally to be able to beat that guy. If you're thinking... You know, we're going to put a corner slash safety on Gronk. The one thing that isn't going to happen is he's going to get beaten for quickness. Right. Now, maybe he'll get dominated at the catch point down the line, you know, and that's fair enough. That's what you live with. But the one thing that isn't going to happen is this guy's going to get smoked off the line for speed, for quickness. But Gronk just hits him with a shimmy, and he's already stacking him five yards off the line of scrimmage. Like a guy that's 260-plus pounds should not be able to do that. That's freakish. Yeah, and now the Chiefs, 
playing very shorthanded defensively. Yes. And it did it did come back to bite them with no Justin Houston, no Eric Berry, guys like Jordan Lucas out there, Breland Speaks playing 76 snaps. By the way, Breland Speaks was like an interior defensive lineman in college. And he's essentially playing an outside backer role, like the old Tom Bahali. Well, he's doing side. that still at the same size. Right, at well. 285. Well, no, no, not 285. I have it on good authority that Breland Speaks is over 300 right now. Oh, sorry. I didn't give him enough, enough credit. Yeah. At over 300 pounds. So this is a big guy. That felt like a, a mismatch that could have been exploited. So, anyway, I think it is the game we were talking about. Big 12 game, Patrick Mahomes. All he does is play Big 12 games, but... It was one of those 43-40 to 40 games that didn't feel like this is just horrendous defense. It was actually impressive to watch the offensive performances. I did feel like the offenses earned what they got, not necessarily the defense handed it to them. So this is also a, a game that had a really great finish to it. I'm going to segue to another game that had a great oh, finish because anytime I can drag the podcast back to rugby talk, I'm going to do it. No, we and I've got, a, I've got an opportunity now Oh, I because know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – trying to win the game late in the game against the Atlanta Falcons, pulled out what looked like one of the dumbest calls in NFL history. Some people on Twitter were mad at this call. But, well, actually. Well, actually, this is one of the smartest plays I have ever seen in my freaking life because they legitimately dialed up a rugby set-piece move on this play, right? It, it was a design draw to Jameis Winston against this incredibly soft look the Falcons were giving them, right? Three-man rush, I think, everybody else dropping back to the goal line, basically, to make sure that the only thing we need to stop is a touchdown. Anything else is fine. We just have to stop the touchdown. There's only a few seconds left. So the Bucks dialed up this play where they had a quarterback draw, so Jameis gets to run into the teeth of this defense that's giving him 10 free yards. But then what they did is they had this play designed off the back end of it that essentially created a rugby backline move, right? And so they had uh, Humphrey's slot right was going to pull this shallow drag in behind Jameis Winston. And then from slot left, uh, Deshaun Jackson was going to essentially fake a screen and then just be forgotten about and start trailing the play it, behind, right? If we could draw it right here, actually. So Jameis runs in, basically just gets too aggressive, makes a balls out of the execution, right? But if he'd done it correctly... He would have been able to hit Humphreys behind him, who was coming in behind, and basically manufacture a two-on-one on the left-hand side into the space. Like This is how rugby backline moves work. They've literally lifted this against a defense they knew the Falcons would be playing because this is the situation. We know they're going to give us everything short of the goal line. How do we manufacture space on the outside? And even with this total mess of execution, Jameis like flinging himself forward and hurling the ball sideways, backwards, and then them somehow picking it up, scooping, and trying to get it to Deshaun Jackson. Even with that, he almost had the space on the outside to score. If this had actually been executed the way it was drawn up, this would have been one of the greatest plays in NFL history. Do you think the Bucs, Dirk Cutter, who has just been sitting on this play for like 20 years? They apparently, I can't remember the, the guy's name, but one of the Bucks reporters has been saying they practice this maybe once a week. I, I, you've got to assume they've, been, they've had this in the works for a while. But this is no. The alternative is you're at the twenty yard line. You have you have time for one play. We've seen Hail Marys work from like the fifty, right. which almost feels like a better bet than actually chucking it in from the twenty. Yeah, you're a little bit closer, but you the windows are really tight. You have to figure out do I do I zip one in? I mean, it's you've it's got, almost you've impossible. got basically two options on this play, right? Conventionally, you either just try and find your favorite route into the end zone and throw a very tight window contested catch, likely, right? Try and score that way. Or you do what most teams do, which is 
this kind of shorter hook and ladder play, right? Where you just, you know, a hitch and then something off the back of it and you try and create some sort of luck, you know, running it in from 10 out. And that's probably not going to work either. This, though, actually pulled on rugby principles, which is the idea of manufacturing space laterally where there, there shouldn't be any. So you draw in defenders, you get guys to bite inside, and then you pitch the ball outside to a guy who's now got an overlap. We need to send you to Tampa to do a special report on this. Honestly, this is one of the smartest play designs I have ever seen drawn up, and Jameis Winston butchered it. I love how excited you are. Anyway, Matt, Matt so yeah, it was a, an exciting finish. The Falcons, you know, they continue to put up uh, points and move the ball at home. Yeah, dome. Matt Ryan still Georgia. has his still has Georgia, his Matt dome. Ryan. Right. When he's in Georgia, he's good. He doesn't have to play in Pennsylvania again, though, right? Pennsylvania, he still struggled. Yeah. Over at Premium Stats, you could see a 56 and a 47.5 in Pennsylvania. How many more times does he have to play in Pennsylvania? I think that's it unless they go to Penn State. Do they go to Penn State? I don't think so. Well, they might have to go back there in the playoffs. It's true. So if he goes to Pennsylvania, that'll be our analysis. If you have to, if they have to go to Philadelphia, but they're two and four now, so still in it. But it's a rough start. How many? If you were the Falcons, how many times would you? How many other routes would you give Julio Jones other than the Julio Jones route? For anyone that doesn't know, that is basically what it's this sort of fake dig, which he then breaks right back outside to turn it into an out. I call, it every an, time, I call it an 83, a post out. Okay. And every time he does this, he's 10 yards open. Yeah. So I thought we had a great expl- we had a great discussion with this off, uh, just in the office a few weeks ago about the Falcons and why Julio doesn't figure it out in the red zone. He's got such great build-up speed and, and that. Like when you give him a vertical stem, mm-hmm. he's incredible. You give him 10 to 15 yards of vertical stem, him and Matt Ryan have great chemistry on the post. Then he fakes the post and takes it out, exactly what you're saying. He can run the goal ball. He can run a shallow. These are all 20 to 20-yard line type of routes. But in the red zone, doesn't have the short area quickness, and he's not this perfect fade guy, right? Like, A.J. Green's got better fade ball skills than Julio. Julio's got downfield ball skills. He doesn't really have great fade ball skills, and I think that's why fantasy owners are really mad at Julio for not scoring touchdowns. But he's still a top three wide receiver, top two wide receiver, because everything else he does is, is so incredible. But I would run that route probably five times a game. At least. I mean, so it's it's at like it. the Tyreek Hill thing, right? The guy, I mean, it felt like they were underusing him, and he still had, what, 12 targets in that right. game. Yeah. I mean, look, the Falcons' offense is still extremely dangerous as long as Matt Ryan's throwing the ball pretty well. Matt Ryan quietly putting up ridiculous stats after um, the slow start in Philadelphia. His grade's not great, but statistically, fourth in the league in passer rating if you still have – Ryan Fitzpatrick in the mix there. So um, just a weird season for Atlanta because they're so banged up defensively. Uh, and then Jameis showed the wide array of his game. He if, had a good grade, and he had four turnover-worthy plays. <laughs> that, I was pointing that out to you earlier. He's Right now, we've got a couple reviews to check here. Four turnover-worthy plays for Jameis, and he's still graded well, meaning it's just positive, positive, positive. Po- I mean, that's his game, right? He's going to add a ton of value, but he's also going to take some points off the board and that you're going to have games like this. Yeah, though he's even further on my bad list because he butchered the greatest play design ever. I know. The full report on the rugby play from Sam Monson coming sometime in the next year. Oh, you mock. I'm going to do good. that. Where else do you want to go? AFC North? Sure. Steelers survive Yeah, at the Bengals. They did. Pick play at the end? Mm-hmm. Was it illegal? <sighs> so what bugs me is just how bad the NFL are getting their point across. So, like, they get each one of these plays where there's a controversial decision. And is it Al Riveron now that 
that does the the video so. things comes out and it's just you're you're terrible at this how can you be this bad at trying to convey your own rules like every time they come out it's just this is such a terrible explanation of what it is you're trying to convey yeah like come you know don't don't come out three minutes after the game come at it later in the week you know put some time into this production try and put your best foot forward and explain why your rules actually made a bit of sense because it's you're just you're making things worse it was a fun game overall. It was uh, in our home city over here in Cincinnati. It was gloomy and misty over here. You could see it in the game. So the pregame uh, you know, videos, B-roll that they have of guys showing up to the stadium and all this thing, Joe Mixon appeared to roll into the stadium on a bird. Oh, yeah, they're, they're taking over the city here. Now, okay, yeah, I get that. But you, when you leave a bird somewhere, you're still like on the clock for it, right? For anyone that doesn't know, birds are these like pay-as-you-go scooter things, right? You, you fire up your phone, you find out where all the birds are, they're just left around the city. You hop on one, you you know, sync it up to your phone, you get charged by the mile and, you know, you drop it off somewhere. But if you roll it like into a stadium, if you just park it in the locker room, you've got to be like on the clock the no, whole time. But then right? I think it's fair game for anybody if you park it outside the locker room, anybody that yeah, works yeah, yeah. at the stadium can just grab it. I but think it's off you've got to leave it like in, you know, publicly accessible places. Is that the rule? I don't think you can just leave it in the locker room and say, Well anybody can get it if they want to. Good luck getting at I it. I assume Joe Mixon can afford a day's worth of well, that's possible. Bird true, rental. Yes, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, but then you get into the ethical question of whether he should be taking a bird off the street just so we can park in the locker room. Yeah, I don't have the answer to that. I'm just leaving it out there as a question. It's a great question. Our boy George, he's big bird guy. He'll know the the rules. On right. It. So George, that's George that, birds around. That's town a here. bird that wasn't available for George because it was sitting in. Uh, Joe Mixon's locker. Well, George, luckily, didn't need it because he sits on NBC Sunday Night Football producer Fred Gidelli's lap <laughs> during the game. For you guys that don't know, George Shahori of the PFF Forecast, I joke that he sits on Fred Gidelli's lap. He's actually sitting directly next to Fred Gidelli, who produces Sunday Night Football. So when you hear our boss, Chris Collinsworth, using some win probability stuff, some fourth down probability stuff, it comes straight from George. So it is kind of cool to see PFF the PFF influence on Sunday Night Football. It's really not just because Chris is on the broadcast. Fred and the rest of the production team love they, what we bring to the table there. They do, yeah, they're not just, they don't just love what PFF brings to the table. You could see they want to put useful information on the screen. They do. You know, there are a bunch of broadcasts out there that don't really. They just want to throw something at you, and they don't really care whether it's insightful or not. They just want a, a number. But I've always thought that, you know, this that would be good, the field goal thing. Look at that. It's a 63-yard field goal, but that would have been good from 73. Hey, would it? Really? I mean, it didn't look that good. And now they're they, saying... They pulled it out. They've pulled yeah. out the math that they already had sitting there from that golf, you know, the golf program that they run, whatever golf's version of Hawkeye is. And now they're able to actually put numbers and tell you how far the field goal would have been from. I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, weird game for the Steelers' defense. Only three total pressures between T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree off the edge. But the interior guys, Stephon Tuitt, Javon Hargrave, Cam Hayward, uh, really good game for those guys getting yeah. after the quarterback. So Steelers remain maybe what we thought they were coming into the season. They've survived to this point, and uh, AFC North you know, remains extremely competitive. Yeah, except the Browns and Baker didn't. Do Baker had a rough one. Yeah. He had a rough one. There were a lot of tight window throws that were just misses, and I think the, the Chargers defense started to become a little bit more what we thought they would be before the season with guys like – uh, you know, Cam. Hay- uh, sorry, Casey Hayward on the back end. Desmond King with a big game. 
Derwin, of course, with another big another big game and a sack. Of course, yeah. Best pass rusher rookie. Now, unfortunately, here's what happened yesterday. Derwin plays the 1 o'clock game. Mm-hmm. I see that he picked up a sack. Yeah. He goes to 4. Mm-hmm. And I am just I'm dancing on Bradley Chubb's grave. Right. And then what happened? Then Chubb picks up 3. <laughs> so now it's 5-4. to four. So for the first time, Bradley Chubb has now exceeded Derwin James in sacks. It's yeah. 5 for Bradley Chubb. Unless we change something on review uh-huh. and pull something away from him. But right now, it's 5 from Bradley Chubb, 4 for Derwin James, the safety. Yes. Which is still respectable. Thanks. Right, but it doesn't quite back up your better pass rushing. I know. Brad, uh, credit to Bradley Chubb. We'll talk about them when we get there. He so, has been playing some good football. Going back to Baker for a second, right? Baker clearly played his worst game, I think, in the NFL so far. We all yeah. agree with that. Um, struggled more than uh, than he has in the past. But this receiving thing is just a mess, right? The Browns receivers suck. I mean, Njoku made some plays. Um, they're... They're kind of they're non wide receiver receivers are okay, right? And Joku made some plays. Um, Duke Johnson is a good receiver out of the backfield. But anybody that's actually a wide receiver right now, because there's no Rashad Higgins on the field, oh is terrible. That's why. Like stop throwing the ball at Antonio Callaway. He's awful. No, I got him starting in my dynasty league. Yeah. I don't need him because I win every week. But okay. I do have him starting. Well maybe but he did he should, drop another pass. Maybe he's a guy for next year. Jarvis, that's fine. Because he's pretty terrible. It is right dynasty, now. so it's okay. Right. Jarvis Landry, two for nine for 11 yards, targeting him. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a lot of bad Baker in that as well. But Landry, Landry's a specific type of receiver, right? You need guys on the outside to do the things that Landry isn't going to do or can't do or whatever you want to pigeon all that is. That as. Landry is a specific type of receiver that will complement well with Duke Johnson, with David Njoku, but you need some guys on the outside that can actually threaten the ball downfield. Right. And make some plays. Antonio Callaway might be able to threaten you downfield, but he's not going to drop the ball when it arrives. Landry will flash some of that stuff, but he has games where he just straight up disappears. Last year against the Ravens, when they got destroyed by the Ravens, he absolutely got demolished. I think he can make some plays downfield, but it's going to be a case of what the defense gives as opposed to what he generates. And early on, when Baker was having success, we saw him catching seam routes and some tight window throws and everything. Uh, the Chargers continue to have this two-headed monster at running back. Melvin Gordon averaging 7.3 yards per carry yesterday, and Austin Eckler at 8.6. It really is a pretty good combo there. Gordon, of course, finds the end zone three times. They combine to force eight missed tackles between the two of them. As much as we talk about pass games, there is really good balance across this Chargers offense. Well, it's like it's like almost anything in the NFL is that it doesn't – it's often – Pretty much anything can matter if you're sufficiently bad at it, right? Yeah. So, you know, punting doesn't really matter. But if you're horrendous at it, you can make a real mess out of punting to the point where it does matter. But it's also like even if it's 10% of the game or 15%, whatever the percentage is, you still want to maximize. You still want to do well at it. It helps you get to that 100%. And if you're sufficiently bad at anything, that percentage can become a real problem. So run defense doesn't really matter unless you're so freaking bad at it. The teams are just running all over, and you can't stop them, right. and they're scoring endless points. I thought it mattered for the Chiefs a little bit last night. Yeah, it mattered for the Chiefs. Six a pop. Off the it whole mattered game. for the the Browns. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't do anything on defense. Like this was as much as people were going to focus in on Baker and the fact that he didn't have his best game and all that kind of stuff. Like the the Browns defense has been pretty hit or miss this season. It's right. either been pretty suffocating and really challenged teams, or it's had the living crap beaten out of it. It's, turn, it's weirdly against AFC West teams, but yeah. whatever. Like, it got absolutely rolled by the Chargers, and the Chargers do not have a good offensive line. 
They've got some of their own problems. They've got some good skill position players and a good quarterback and all that kind of stuff. But the Browns' defense should not be getting eviscerated the way it was in that game, and that's going to be their problem this year, that that defense cannot play consistently. It's been really turnover-driven. They have a yeah. ton of turnovers. Which is like, I mean, which is tough to, it's, just it's tough like to that sustain. 09 Greg Williams team, right? Yeah. When they actually get a run of turnovers. Same. Sorry, yes, Greg Williams. What did I say? Just Greg Williams' team. Oh, yeah. Same. I was just reminding people that was the same. Yes. Saints. So, 09 was basically the one year where they actually had good defensive play out of that team, and it was because it was all turnovers. All they got was a whole bunch of turnovers, and that was what propelled them to the Super Bowl. But that is, if you can't sustain that, it's not good. So, right. at the moment, the Browns is the same thing. It's driven by turnovers, but they're not able to do it every week. Credit the uh, Chargers offensive line. Strong run blocking grades across the board, though. So, it goes both ways. Give them credit. And uh, Browns defense was rough in that one. Uh, give me one more marquee game to touch on, then we'll fly through the rest of the league. Uh, well, there weren't that many. What about Washington, Carolina? No. Let's go to the Rams. The Rams got held to 23 points by they the did. Denver Broncos, who also kind of stifled the Chiefs. This is this is what we said last week. Yeah. The, the Broncos don't have the same defense they had two or three years ago when they were a top three defense, but they still have a lot of good parts. And in any given week, they, we've sh- they've shown that they could just make things difficult for these good offenses, and they did it for the Rams. I mean, it was cold and all that stuff, but it wasn't... That's going to help. It helps a little cold, bit. Cold, mile high, a bit of snow. Yeah. It's, it's tough to also, play in they Denver. Knocked, they knocked Cooper Cup out of the game by horse collaring. That's going to help. Yeah, he came back, but still. But he limited. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they got a nice – Jared Goff had another kind of unlucky interception this week. But, yeah, they did a pretty nice job, even though, again, we go back to the run defense. Here's the way you sum up run defense, right? Todd Gurley ran for 208 yards, and they only scored 23 points, the Rams. So, like, you know, if you're going to pick your poison, would you rather give up 400 yards passing or 200 yards rushing? You're going to give up the 200 yards rushing because you can actually still stay in the game a little bit easier. Yeah, but I think that's – it's interesting that so far the Broncos have done the best job of anybody shutting down the league's best two offenses. Yeah. Now they've lost both those games, right? Well, yeah. So it's not, because it's not that good of a story. Case Keenum has been an issue. Yeah. But, you know, that's <laughs> that at least bodes well that the defense is capable of better things. I may, uh, Another guy making a big play, uh, Cortland Sutton, another nice downfield catch. I love it. We run the numbers on these tight window just jump balls. The thing, the things that people call fifty-fifty balls, yeah, are really not. like eighteen to eighteen to twenty percent balls. And Ke- Keenum just throws a jump ball, and Sutton goes up and gets it. He sunned Troy Hill. Yeah, he that was did. a bad, bad Troy Hill day. So people are kind of like, you know, Case Keenum. Does he just suck now? And you know, poor Case Keenum. He's got this got this opportunity to start now, and now he's terrible. Poor Case Keenum. Here's the thing, right? Case Keenum has guaranteed himself a Matt Castle career with that season he had last year, right? He's guaranteed himself a decade of stealing money out of NFL teams who will always keep giving a guy a shot who yeah. showed one good year of starting. Oh, he's got it made. Like, Matt Castle is still getting jobs based off that one year in 2008. Just hold on. Look at Case Keenum's career grades. Everything's in line. Everything's right. Except, except for 2017. Right. So he did it at the right time, hits free agency, goes and makes some money, reverts back into Case Keenum, right. as we expected, so, gets out of the dome, <laughs> goes back so, outdoors, and he's bad again. And he's presumably going to, yeah, so he won't see the duration of that contract, right? So poor Case Keenum, and that he's not going to see out that deal, he's not going to be, you know, the future, but he's going to spend the next decade getting free money out of teams who are like, remember what he did back in 2017? If we can just harness that, it's there, it's in there, we can get yeah. it out of him, throw more money at him. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Case Keenum, your next Matt K. 
Castle. Right. Unfortunately, I don't think Chad Kelly's much better. Denver fans calling for him. Chad Kelly had to come in for one. Uh, you uh, knee. you saw enough in your one snap. <laughs> yeah, he, I don't like the way he took the knee at the end of the half when Keenan was okay. Keenan was in. So uh, Chad Kelly's a write off based on that knee. Well, he might get a shot. Uh, everybody was saying, "Hey, John Elway was at the Oregon game this weekend. Perhaps checking out Justin Herbert, our number one NFL draft quarterback prospect." As as of right now, and I expect that to not change. Though a lot of heavy rumors that Herbert's going back to school. We'll have a lot more draft content here on the podcast. Whenever you guys want it. If your team's out of the race and you guys want more draft content, let us know. We, we're always willing to do that. It's usually around this time. It's usually Browns fans. Mm. But, uh, Not anymore. They've got more hope let despite what happened yesterday. Yeah, let us know, as always. Let's fly through the rest of the league. Uh, Bills, Texans. The Texans win 20-13. to Huge regression game for Deshaun Watson. I'll continue to say it about the Bills. That defense is tough to play against, especially you know, against the pass. They, they make it just very difficult, but their offense just can't get out of their own way. Yeah, so the interesting thing with Deshaun Watson, who's been playing, by and large, much better this year than he was a season ago. In fact, actually, he's almost exactly at the number of snaps he played last year now. So it's almost a comparable season, body of work. And he's been much better this year. But when you play with, A, the style that he does, and B, the sheer weight of disaster around him in terms of offensive line and all that mess, when it goes bad, it's going to go bad in a major way. Like, yeah. it's going to get ugly. And we just had one of those games. So this was kind of like the game, his his first start, right, that was dragging down his grade all of last season. Yes. And he was slowly pulling it back in the right direction with every great game he had. This was basically that game again. It was just ugly almost from start to finish. And he didn't have the excuse of coming off the bench and facing a really good Jaguars defense like right. he did last year. But, again, he was, what, under pressure, 18 out of 33 dropbacks. Like, it's more than half, Sam. Yes, and we keep talking about 40-odd percent being a, an important watershed line. 50 is just, no. Not this was it. the game you were expecting Julien Davenport to have all year. Three sacks as of now. Three sacks, three QB hits, and three hurries. That's nine pressures total yeah. from their left tackle. Jerry Hughes getting the best of him. Watson had two bad fumbles and a disastrous interception. A, a, one unlucky interception, one disastrous interception. Jerry so. Hughes is this fun player who is... He's, the, he's almost the prototype right now of being good enough to destroy a bad offensive tackle. Like he will, he's, he's probably been the single most important player in two separate wins, right, this season? Yeah, uh, well, against uh, Minnesota. Sorry, two, two separate games, so one win, one defeat. Right. This game where they really stifle the Texans' offense and the game against Minnesota where he destroyed Riley Reef. But 13 pressures in you put game. him up against an elite left tackle and he gets shut down. Like, David Bakhtiari completely took him out of the game. But, like this eliminated is why, him. but this is why I don't think you necessarily want to adjust for competition, why we don't necessarily do that with our grades. There is value in exploiting yeah. mismatches in the NFL. Like I say, it, I it want led, a guy that's going to get eight or nine pressures. It against led almost directly to one yeah. win, and it kept him in this game. Right. So Buffalo remains a team that um, will play some ugly football games. Yeah. Josh Allen got hurt. Nathan Peterman came in oh, and God. threw a very, very bad pick six. Yeah, and another pick. Like his, I mean, I, how are you that bad? I don't know. It's amazing. I'm more ready to write him off than I am Chad Kelly, though. Yeah. Say that. I mean. I've I, seen enough. It's, he's becoming his own parody at this point. It's like Nathan Peterman comes in the game. We've got a few snaps left. He's got to, he has to pass the ball because we're down. Oh, yeah, there's the pick six. Pick six in Come the tie on. game. That was wrong. And then, like, next, oh, there's another interception. I mean, this is ridiculous. You should not be capable of throwing that volume of interceptions. Like It's actually hard work to put the ball <laughs> in defenders' way that much. 
Oh, he's setting records. All right, Bears at Dolphins. I thought it was a surprising game. Uh, I saw Rex Ryan made a comment about Miami, and he said that they've got the best home field advantage in the NFL. I don't know if that's the case, but I do think there is something to difficulty playing in Florida. Temperatures were over 100 degrees. There is something to that, I think, playing at Miami or at Jacksonville, at Tampa Bay. When we, were, when we did the training camp tour and we went down to Miami, that practice was hot. Yeah, it's a thing, that right? I mean, insane. You've seen, I mean, Brady struggled at Miami even throughout com- the even years. In comparison with like, change. Yeah, even in comparison with other southern places. Right. Like, f- Miami versus Tampa was a different world. So, I think there is something to it, and that's what we saw. 31-28, Miami over the Bears. The Bears' defense had been uh, our highest-graded defense. Hadn't played a ton of great teams. That's the big story, right? The Mitchell Trubisky relatively struggling, I don't think, is a massive shock. That's going to happen a few times this season. The numbers were still great. For that defense to get exposed the way it was, I mean, that really taps the brakes on the Chicago hype train. Right. Um, Khalil Mack got shut down for the first time this season. Uh, Akeem Hicks was still fantastic, but they had a couple of plays where they just let Miami receivers run through the entire defense. Like, I paused one of those plays, the Albert uh, Wilson one. He catches the ball running across, and there's literally three defenders have encircled him perfectly. You're like, there is no way he should be scoring on this play. And then somehow makes a bunch of different Bears players dive at the floor, trailing in his wake, runs another 60 yards and scores. Like, I mean, that's bad, right? That's questions for that Chicago defense. And then Trubisky... You said he struggled, and, every, and if people are listening, they said, well, his passer rating was 122. Mm-hmm. There's no bigger discrepancy. We've talked about Roethlisberger on the show, but Mitchell Trubisky, as of right now, 31st in our QB grading. That might fluctuate a couple spots by the time you hear this. 31st in PFF grade, 105.6 passer rating is 7th in the NFL. I don't think I've ever seen a discrepancy that big, and that just shows – what Matt Matt Nagy and those playmakers are bringing to the Bears' offense. Half of that yardage was after the catch. Tariq Cohen was making crazy things happen. By the way, I'm talking on the season. Yeah, yeah. He's 31st on the season in seventh. When did he be? I know he had the six-touchdown game, but this is a guy, every time people watch him, they're like, man, Trubisky's really struggling. And before you know it, he's seventh in the league in passer rating. How did that happen? He had a couple of games where he was absurd. But, you know, you're talking about it just compared with the numbers in this game, just the box score of this game. Tariq Cohen was making a bunch of crazy things happen after the catch. He had like, what, 88 yards were after the catch for him. There was a lot of plays in that statistical. The passer rating thing is not a measure of quarterbacks. We've said this before. It's a measure of the overall success of your passing offense. So the quarterback is obviously a part of that. He's the guy that delivers the ball. But there's a, it, it, sometimes it's all quarterbacks. Sometimes it's all receivers. Sometimes over time, it makes it too. Over time, a quarterback grade – and passer rating will generally match up, but Usually, time yeah. being like five years, ten years. Yeah, yeah. In any given season, it could fluctuate. In any given game, it absolutely yeah. could be So when you look course. at a guy who's got a great passer rating in a game, it may be because he had a great game, or maybe because he got the ball in the hands of people who made a bunch of stuff happen and added a bunch of numbers to his stats. So overall, it ends up becoming a very confusing game. The Bears to 3-2. and two. The Dolphins go to 4-2. and two. For two teams, we still have a lot to figure out. The Bears have another AFC East matchup next week hosting the Patriots. So we'll learn a little bit more about the Bears next week, I believe. Uh, Cardinals, Vikings, anything in particular that stood out here? I didn't think Cousins played a particularly good game, but the Cardinals just overmatched here. Yeah, this went about as expected, I think. The Cardinals' defense played pretty well. Chandler Jones had the kind of game we were expecting, given what he was going to be going up against. Um, One note of potential optimism for the Vikings' offensive line, which has zero notes of potential optimism so far. 
Brian O'Neill, rookie right tackle, got in, played kind of well. Uh, allowed, didn't allow a sack so far, a couple of total pressures, block, uh, blocked well in the run game. I mean, he looked like a way better tackle than Rashad Hill so far, who unfortunately is now playing on left tackle rather than right tackle, so it's not like they got him off the field. But right. still, the fact that they may have potentially found a guy who can play. Two pressures on 40 attempts is pretty good yeah. at tackle. So that's good optimism for the Vikings there. Also, Adam Thielen is still freaky. Yeah, Figs and Dealing. Figs and Dealing. Still Dealing. Less of of Figs this week, more more Dealing. More Dealing. Colts at Jets. We're sitting here in the office yesterday, and the Colts are down about 20, and Mike Renner sums it up. He goes, Andrew Luck is just the best down 20 quarterback in the NFL. It's like he doesn't start. He just completes every pass. He's got four touchdowns quietly yesterday, but uh, the captain did put – his team in, in, in some rough spots. It was another classic dig yourself into a hole, try to dig yourself out, and it was too little too late because, well, the Jets scored 42. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's like – it's there's so many metaphors for what exactly he does, but he's getting he gets all this credit for, you know, <laughs> rebuilding the thing you didn't need to take apart in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I fixed my car that was lying in 58 different pieces in the, in the street. But the only reason it was in 58 different pieces is because you were trying to, like, replace a seal on something and you needed to dismantle the entire car. Something I would do. To make it happen. Like, there's only so much credit you should be getting for that. Can we look at Sam Darnold's grades here? Just okay. look Just look that people can't see. Steps down. Mm-hmm. He started week one. He got worse. Yeah. Worse. And then worse. Yeah. And then he went way back up week five. And then week six. Yesterday. That has the makings of a rather uh, fetching Dalton coaster about it. Right. And then next week it'll be up here. And yeah. then next week. It, so it just looks like steps going down and then steps going up. Yeah. But I want it to come back down again so it can go true. Yeah. We need a full know, coaster. True coaster. Either way, the very young uh, Sam Darnold here. The other player who's played well. Season grades look a lot like that is Quentin Nelson, who has continued to go up. Yeah. And we have, especially with guards, like. You're definitely not going to write off anybody after three or four games, but especially offensive linemen, we see a lot of improvement. Yeah, and this, there was a certain degree to which the week before could be down to they played New England and they don't really have a great bunch of defensive linemen. But right. the Jets have Leonard Williams. Um, so he actually faced some legit defenders this yeah. week. Uh, so 42-34, to 34, the Jets win. I thought we saw some definitely some optimism for the Jets. The Colts defense depleted and not good, but looking for anything you can. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Henry Anderson revenge game didn't go great for Henry. Uh, not a good grade. One hurry. Classic. Uh, the end. Classic That's Henry. To offset there. the good grade he had the week before. Yeah. Uh, how bad are the Oakland Raiders? They lose 27-3. They are the, the worst team in the NFL right are now. Are they worse than the Cardinals? Yes. They are terrible. They're horrendous. Really? They're abysmal. Uh, Colton Miller just got abused in this game. Now, apparently he's playing with a sprained knee, so it's not all his fault, but... I mean, so there okay, were. So let me ask you this: How bad? So, like, if if Tyron Smith is playing on a busted knee, uh-huh. then you start to say, okay, ninety percent, eighty percent, fifty percent of Tyron Smith is worth what compared to say Chaz Green? Yeah, Colton Miller, who's already uh, he's a rookie. Yeah, we already don't know how good he is when he's healthy. Uh-huh. How bad does his knee? Like, at what point is it like, all right, well, the backup has to be better than this guy who's already not that great, and he's hurt? Yes. They, the problem is they're already playing Brandon Parker at right tackle, who is, you know, <laughs> a 
who would be a questionable option at left tackle. Both of their so you're going even deeper into the depth chart. Like I get, I get the point that he is so bad right now that you have to be asking the question of how bad can the guy behind him on the depth chart be until he's healthy at the very minimum. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a very real question to be asking, but there is a chance that he's still better than the guy behind him. Uh, but he had multiple plays in this game where when it happened, you're like, I need to see a replay. Did he get tripped? No, no, he right. did just get pitched straight backwards on his ass by Frank Clark, who just ran through him. Um, like, that was, I mean, there was some terrible plays in this. Hey, Maurice Hurst had his uh, fourth straight really good game. Yeah. That was encouraging. Derek Carr put up some mind-blowing numbers from a futile, inept passing point of view. It was actually amazing. He actually had more attempts at or behind the line of scrimmage than he did beyond them. Uh, yeah. Austin said that his average depth of target from a clean pocket was two and a half yards or something downfield. yards. Plus sacked six times, but 142 passing yards mm. on 31 attempts. That's 4.6 yards per attempt. But more importantly, he completed 74% of his passes, 23 completions for 142 yards. Yeah. 23 for 142. I mean, he had two pass attempts that traveled more than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. I like They were number. both incomplete, by the way. So a lot of times when you throw short from a clean pocket... Why does that happen? Maybe teams are blitzing you. Hmm. So what happens is, you know, they bring five, they bring six, and before the pressure gets there, you get rid of it yeah, because there's rats. a hole in the defense, right? He was blitzed twice. Yeah, that's not the reason. 40 dropbacks. Yeah, he was, he's just, he was playing terribly. It was a fascinating game. The Derek Raiders, Carr has some clean pocket issues every now and again. The Raiders' offensive line was a disaster. He was bad, uh, even without the offensive line being a disaster. The defense was terrible. They were getting gashed left and right. They've benched anybody of quality. Like, they are in full rebuilding mode. I mean, it, it, there's, if there's one coach who has the time to do that, it's Gruden and oh, his 10-year yeah. contract. Like 10 years. But they are, like, full rebuilding. I mean, they are junking this whole thing and starting over. Derek Carr for Jameis Winston. Who says no? The Bucks, Fresh start for both. Well, I got Bucks fans saying, no way. I have Raiders fans actually saying, no way. We would never take Jameis Winston. And then I have Bucks fans saying, well, no way. We would never take Derek Carr. I think that's why it's a perfect trade. So in terms of on the field, right, let's assume we're not discussing Jameis and his off-field discretions. Yes. Which obviously is going to, depending on where you stand on that stuff, dictates how you're going to feel about that, right? But from an on-the-field point of view, I don't think Jameis Winston is ever going to become this good quarterback that you think he will. I think he's going to remain this inconsistent frustration for the rest of his career. And sometimes that will produce some sublime games, and sometimes it will produce these ridiculous games. Whatever. I still think he's a way better option right now than Derek Carr, who I think is pretty firmly along the road paved by his elder brother in terms of just being broken. Look, I, w- I want to see more. I mean, just pure statistically he can't still, fight genetics steve he's still completing over 70 percent of his passes with 7.7 yards per attempt so those usually don't go well together like they're still producing a little bit i know they've got the third most yards after the catch in the league and we're two years removed from him being like ascending into the top 10 yeah in our grades and our evaluations you can he's, only, he still has two really good years of play under his belt you can only run away from bloodlines for so long and is he, that has, what it is? he has firmly, you're blaming David Carr. firmly entrenched bro- bloodlines of a bust. It's David There's Carr's just no fault. way of escaping that. Oh, God. So the Raiders score three points. That's a long flight home yes. from London. Also, they, uh, they, so at some point in the game, they were down like three scores. And the commentary was like, so the team that arrived in London with days to acclimatize is beating up on the team that arrived here on Friday. Now, 
I'm not saying that was the reason, but if you're going to get your ass kicked, it's probably not a good thing to leave out there as a potential, you know, we've, mistake. We've had London games since what? 2008, eight, nine? I think it was the first one. Maybe I mean, we've got eight? almost 10 years, at least probably 10 years of London data and research. Uh-huh. When do teams arrive? How do you acclimate yourself, especially coming from the West Coast? You, you think there'd be some trends emerging? I might have got there before Friday. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, probably. Especially as a West Coast team. Yeah. Eight hour difference between uh, Oakland, Seattle, and London. Yeah. All right, Panthers at Redskins. Uh, another, I think it's just another game in the NFC where the, where the teams are all average to good. Average to good to great. And, then, you know, any given week, we have the Redskins who looked like that loss against the Saints on Monday night should have counted for four. <laughs> but then they beat the Panthers 23-17 at home. Yeah, and this was a big statement game for them. For a couple of teams in the NFC East actually had those. Uh, I want to say I'm wrong about Adrian Peterson. We said when he signed before the season that it would make absolutely no difference whatsoever. It was an inconsequential signing. It hasn't been. He's actually been an, a reasonably important part of that offense. He's still got gas in the tank in terms of rushing. But more importantly, the Redskins are using him in the passing game in a way the Vikings didn't think he could do. That always boggled all. my mind his entire career. Why couldn't he catch a screen or a check down and then become a runner? Right. So that's, what, that's basically all the Redskins are asking him to do, and it turns out that he's at least that competent. Yeah. They still don't really trust him to pass block, and that's fine. He can't do that for whatever reason. There's no real excuse for a guy that physically talented not being able to pass block, but whatever. Uh, but it turns out he can be at least a serviceable receiver as just a check-down guy, a guy that's going to catch greens, uh, you know, a simple standard running back without being you know, a receiver plus, a guy that can actually add value there. He can at least be on the field in passing situations, which makes him a much more valuable player. Yeah, he's, already, so, he's caught seven passes for 136 with six forced missed tackles yeah. on those seven catches. Good signing. Game. Not an inconsequential signing. My bad. Fair. Uh, Redskins remain confusing. Yeah. And uh, the, the Panthers remain confusing. I think they're a team that um, year in, year out, I don't think the ro- – I, I always feel like they overachieve compared to what their roster should be bringing to the table. Like they don't have guys that I don't th- that should be – rushing the passer they've got uh, you know inconsistent players like james bradbury in the secondary and uh I, I just think it's it catches up to them at some point this season they fall to three and two uh cam's overthrowing passes down the stretch that wasn't a big surprise yeah that's always gonna happen we the, were watching that saying hey might overthrow a couple here the other statement game from an nfc east team was dallas beating the crap out of the jacksonville jaguars because we, were, I, we said that going into this game. This was a big game for Dallas, who needed to actually win against a pretty decent opponent to prove that they were not, you know, this, this season meant something for them. They, uh, they had Conor McGregor in the building, which is kind of bizarre. But he was, like, down, he was in the huddle at one point, like, cheering on the Great Cowboys. Off. No, that was terrible. His throw looked like Mahomes under pressure, kind of didn't set his feet. So I tweeted out, you know, basically an apology on behalf of Ireland for a player Thank throwing you. a ball like that. It was embarrassing. It was bad, right? In our in in our defense, it's not our national sport or with like within the top 15 of our national sports. So he's probably never thrown a ball before. The way you could probably be tipped off there is that he didn't appear to connect the idea that the laces were an important part of that. He just right. had hold of the ball and was flinging it away. Yeah, but having he was like, said he was like that, balancing it on his hand and trying to yeah, no, that like wasn't does. good. Having said that, that was only the second worst quarterback mechanics in that game. Oh, the other were the worst being from Blake Bortles. I see the guy actually getting paid money to throw balls. So I apologize on behalf of Blake Bortles, Americans. Okay, that's not how we throw objects, like Bortles. 
Uh, I was interested mostly in the the Cowboys being really creative offensively. We had eleven rushes from Dak Prescott, seven of which were scrambles, but there were a lot. There were a lot of a few design runs in there. He did fumble twice, which crushed it, crushed his grade. One of which bounced directly back to him. Yeah, what the thank hell? you. Uh, but there was some creativity there. Zeke, you know, efficient efficient game, twenty four carries for one hundred six, and uh, you know they they had a lot of just easy underneath passes and stuff like that for Dak. They just they did a much better job of scheming, and they've been taking a lot of heat for not scheming very well this season offensively. Yeah, um, did you see how badly Yannick Ngakwe? beat up on Tyron Smith at times in that game. Yeah. Now, it wasn't that bad because Tyron Smith only allowed three total pressures, still graded okay. One of those wins, though, was Yeah, when he was beat, really good. it was so ugly. Yeah. And Gakwe had five total pressures, two of which were sacks. The Jaguars' defense, weird, because I think the talent's all still there. Our grades have been much lower on them this year. And it was one of those things where I'm like, PFF, you're just stupid. You don't know. I'm, I'm, critici- I'm critici- criticizing ourselves. Smart. I, I think they're better than that. They're better than that, but they got torched in this game. Big game from uh, Randy Gregory. His best game this season, certainly. Uh, one sack, two hits, one hurry on just 17 snaps. That's two. That's back-to-back good games from Randy Gregory, who might actually be proving to be you know, a useful member of this defense that it looked like he could be heading into the season based on the preseason. That's they huge They really because they needed a guy like him yeah. you know, to complement what Demarcus Lawrence is doing. And I will say the other, the one other thing, real quick in this game, I wrote before the season about the Cowboys back seven being just this interesting match that I think they can, you know, match up with a lot of different types of offenses. I think we're starting to see that, especially I didn't even factor in the Jalen Smith, you know, recovery into yeah. that, but he looks fast and he's making plays. Had a forced fumble and it was a forced fumble, right? What great play did he make? Didn't he force a fumble? I don't remember. It was a lot of football yesterday, but either way, he graded extremely well. He's been making a ton of plays. They added Leighton Vander Esch. We have Byron Jones playing like one of the top corners in the league. So there's just a lot of uh, nice players on the back end that's gonna that can help them week in week out. Dallas uh, also just a team that's been much better at home this year. All right, we got one final game to get through. Let's talk about this disaster in Tennessee. We got all, this is all the games, right? Because last time we missed one, and so we missed one on one of the previews somehow. Yeah, but I definitely blame Matt for that. Definitely, definitely Matt screwed up on the schedule. So we've hit every game. Now we've got one of the most amazing stat lines you'll ever see. Marcus Mariota going 10 for 15 as a passer. 10 for 15 That's for 117. Stat, right? Don't care. That's not that amazing. No. With 11 sacks. That's kind of amazing. 26 official dropbacks with 11 sacks. That is, yeah, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Now we have to make the point that sacks usually point to the offensive line. This one is one where you have to just have equal blame across the board. The O-line gave up some. Mariota was to blame for some. Wide receivers weren't getting open. And you, you, just, you need to be able to scheme up easy passes, right? You need to be able to scheme up. Somebody's got to get open quickly, either schematically or from a route-running standpoint. And even with Hall of Famer Corey Davis on the field, the Titans just didn't have it. Yeah. It was incredible. Um. <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that the Titans punted every single drive in this game except one. And the one drive they didn't punt was the end of the game where they ran out of time. That's absolutely incredible. <laughs> right? It was amazing. They like, they literally punted every single drive except the, the close of the game where they just ran off the clock ran out. We were, we, luckily, Sky Sports had some technical issues yesterday, and we were going to be on Sky doing our weekly hit about this game. 
Yeah. And luckily we didn't have to. Oh, we didn't have to that. discuss the incompetency that was the Titans offense yesterday. I don't I mean that that must be a record, right? Has anybody ever gone through a game where you punted every drive? I mean somebody probably has. Yeah, but like point. back in the twenties where people were like running through mud and there was no you know, the field barely existed. Yeah. Like so not this, since the advent of, you know, AstroTurf and stuff. So this was rough. Um Ravens big win on the road, twenty one nothing. Yeah. Flacco plays an efficient game. The See, this is why I can't buy into the Titans ever. Yeah, I understand. Because they're going to roll in with a game like this. And you're like, well, what the? I mean, you know. Yeah, I understand. Mariota just fails to take that next step. But again, I, th- I think there's just so many things to blame in this one. It's tough to just point to him, just the offensive line, just the playmakers. It's just there needs, an o- there needs to be an overhaul there in Tennessee. They're going to yeah. be in London next week. <laughs> That's the Chargers. They should just leave now. So it's a 9.30 a.m. game chart for the Chargers. Chargers, what time is that? Oh, that's, that's a 6.30 a.m. game for the Chargers yeah, next week. That's pretty harsh. That's their chance. Yeah, they should get out there now. They should probably yeah. get out there, get acclimated. Uh, any other takeaways on this game? No, just the outright depression of having to watch the Titans play. The Patriots and Chiefs punted once. The Titans only punted. That sums up the week. Yeah. Except for the one drive where they just ran out of clock. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have had to find a way to punt from the four. Yeah, that's it. All right, Sam. Pretty exciting week six, as always, guys. We'll be back later in the week, previewing week seven. Special thanks to our sponsors, True Car and Lisa Mattress. Of course, get to lisa.com slash PFF with your promo code PFF to go get a whole bunch of money off your Lisa Mattress. $160 off. And, of course, get your PFF Elite Package, Premium Stats 2.0. You get all the grades and analysis from this weekend and PFF Greenline for next week's picks. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.